You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Good evening. Tomorrow is December 31st, and you are listening to the College Football Daily Bowl Preview Series. I'm your producer, Tani Levitt, and there are five bowls to preview today. We'll start in Charlotte, North Carolina, where Doug Bowman of Inside the Tunnel will preview the Belk Bowl between Virginia Tech and Kentucky. Hello, my name is Doug Bowman from the Inside the Tunnel podcast on VT Scoop. I'm here to preview the Belk Bowl coming up between the Virginia Tech Hokies and the Kentucky Wildcats for the College Football Daily. This game will kick off in Charlotte on New Year's Eve, Tuesday, December 31st, a noon kickoff. And there's really two main storylines for this game. First, for Kentucky, it's all about Lynn Bowden, the wide receiver who still is Kentucky's leading wide receiver, was moved to quarterback midway through the year this year. And, and as the Wildcats shifted their offense almost exclusively towards the run, only once since the end of September has Kentucky ran the ball less than 40 times in a game. They threw 35 passes total in the month of November. Um, Bowden's high in terms of passing attempts in one game is just 15. So it's an extremely run-heavy um, offensive attack that, that's managed to have success even as defenses know that they're just going to run the ball over and over again, particularly with Bowden at quarterback. If it's not Bowden running the ball um, and he leads the team with 1,235 yards and 11 rushing touchdowns on 151 carries, if it's not him, it's going to be junior running back Asim Rose or freshman Kavasi Smoke, who have combined for more than 200 carries, 1,300 yards, and 12 touchdowns themselves on the ground. So very strong rushing attack, a very strong offensive line that has allowed that rushing attack to have success, even as defenses um, prepared for them, knowing that they're going to face run after run after run. And that's really the big question here is whether Virginia Tech's Bud Foster can game plan well enough to slow down one of the best players in the country in Lynn Bowden. The Hokies have faced this kind of defense twice this year already, uh, once against Georgia Tech and their quarterback, James Graham, who is a little bit like Bowden, a little more limited as a passer. and But I would say Bowden's much more dynamic on the ground than Graham is at this point in his career. That game, Virginia Tech won in a 45 nothing blowout. Um, the second game was the UVA game. Uh, the Virginia Tech loss at the end of the regular season. UVA's Bryce Perkins a little more of a passer. Uh, than Graham or Bowden, but he still managed to put up 475 yards of total offense. So while Bowden isn't a threat like Perkins is to throw the ball, he's even better on the ground. So the main question, does Virginia Tech have enough on defense to slow down Bowden enough to get the win? I don't think they have to slow him. They won't slow him down the whole game for four quarters, so they'll just have to slow him down enough, particularly as the game gets in the second half and Kentucky's carries or rushing attempts get up over 40 carries. Offensively for the Virginia Tech, they've fared very well since Hendon Hooker took over as the starting quarterback the first weekend of October. With a month off to prepare, uh, Brad Cornelson will be interesting to see what he comes to the table with against the SEC's fifth-ranked total defense, a very strong unit for Kentucky. Uh, Virginia Tech's been able to make a hooker comfortable in his first real action of his career. Um, but, and with a month off, you have to think they'll be ready to execute offensively. I'm not sure 
how the situation the other way goes with Virginia Tech's defensive uh, coaching staff turnover um, and if that has affected their preparation for this game at all. Bud Foster will be in his last game as the defensive coordinator, but he will be without longtime defensive line coach Charlie Wiles, as well as quarterbacks coach Brian Mitchell, who were both let go after the UVA game um, earlier this month. Their replacements, they've named a couple of them, Daryl Tapp and Tracy Clay specifically. They still have a couple more to go, but they haven't officially taken the reins yet. They're not coaching this bowl game. So the defensive line for Virginia Tech will be coached by Zach Sparber, who's a graduate assistant this year. And then the quarterbacks will be coached by Pearson Prelu, who's a former Virginia Tech defensive back. Played for years in the NFL, but he's only recently joined the joined the staff this year in a support staff role. So there's a lot of inex- inexperience on the coaching staff and a lot of turnover there, which makes you wonder if Virginia Tech has been able to prepare as well for this game as Kentucky has. And I think that is the second storyline tying into Bowden's Bowden's ability on the ground that I think gives Kentucky an edge here, their ability to control, control the game, run the ball, control the clock, and probably win the turnover battle thanks to that. I think Kentucky gets a close win. I think both teams will be able to put up some points, but I think Bowden is the story and the difference, particularly as we come down the stretch in the fourth quarter with his ability to make plays in what will be his last game as a Kentucky Wildcat. For a prediction, I'm going to go Kentucky 33, Virginia Tech 27. If you want to hear more about Virginia Tech, you can check us out on the Inside the Tunnel podcast on VT Scoop. This was the College Football Daily Preview for the Belk Bowl. I'm Doug Bowman. Thanks for listening. Thanks, Doug. Next, we go to El Paso, Texas for the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, where Chris Nee from On the Bench will break down the matchup between Florida State and Arizona State. Hello, my name is Chris Nee from Knowles247.com and the On the Bench podcast presented by Knowles247.com. I am here to preview the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl between the Florida State Seminoles and the Arizona State Sun Devils for the College Football Daily. There are many interesting storylines about the game between the Seminoles and the Sun Devils. From FSU's perspective, the storylines start with the fact that they are set to wrap up their season almost 60 days after the dismissal of now former head coach Willie Taggart, before Mike Norvell, who was hired by Florida State from Memphis earlier in December, officially takes over, FSU will play this game under the guidance of interim head coach Odell Higgins and a majority of the outgoing staff who work for Taggart. Higgins helped to lead FSU to bowl eligibility and allowed them to finish 6-6 six and six on the season. They lost to Florida in their regular season finale, but had clinched bowl eligibility prior to that game. Higgins who is a longtime assistant for the Seminoles and will be the longest-tenured assistant in college football starting next season with the retirement of Bud Foster at Virginia Tech, as well as wide receivers coach Ron Dugans will be retained. But the transition of the coaching staff in recent weeks has led to a lot of interesting moments and preparations for the Seminoles. Numerous coaches like offensive coordinator Kendall Bryles and offensive line coach Randy Clements have already found new jobs. Bryles will be the offensive coordinator at Arkansas, while Clements will take on the same role at Old Miss as offensive line coach. Many others, like Raymond Woody, Dante Pimpleton, and others are also expected to move on. Their destinations are still to be determined. But in recent weeks, Hagens has praised all of the outgoing coaches for the Seminoles that they have been professionals in helping bowl prep both get underway and continue as the Seminoles prepared for their departure for El Paso, Texas. Similar to FSU, Arizona State, who's under the guidance of Herm Edwards and finished 7-5 and five in the regular season, 
they've also seen some coaching transition in their ranks as well. So both teams are dealing with similar factors in that regard. FSU, who's playing their 38th bowl game in the last 40 seasons, is also out to avoid back-to-back losing seasons for the first time in more than four decades. The Seminoles last year saw their nation's best bowl streak come to an end when they finished 5-7 and seven on the regular season and failed to qualify for the first time for the postseason since the beginning of the Bobby Bowden era back in the late 70s. On the field, this game has a lot of interesting storylines, but I think it honestly starts with the players who are very talented for both teams who we do not expect to play in the game. For example, both teams are going to be without their leading rushers, running backs for the Seminoles. That's Cam Akers. He's already decided he's going pro, has finished his college career, and is now turning his attention to preparing for the NFL draft. Same goes for Arizona State leading rusher Eno Benjamin. He's been their leading rusher the last two years, very talented back, and he won't be on the field. Those are just two of the examples of guys that have already decided that they're not going to play in this game for an abundance of reasons. In fact, the Seminoles are expected to be without around 20 scholarship players total for this game, which means they're working with a roster of around 50 available scholarship players, some of whom are true freshmen and others who are younger players on the roster who have not seen any action this season for the Seminoles. With regards to the guys that we will actually see on the field, I think the X factor for both teams comes at the quarterback position. The Seminoles are expected to start quarterback James Blackman, who has started a majority of the games this past season, while also splitting times with guys like Alex Hornibrook. Hornibrook's another player who is not available in this ballgame. For Arizona State, their starting quarterback is going to be true freshman Jaden Daniels, who has turned into a very strong freshman campaign in Tempe. Blackman's a big play, big arm, down-the-field potential quarterback, while Daniels is a little bit more controlled dual threat, who does an excellent job of not turning the ball over. I think another major storyline at the quarterback position for this game as a whole is who does a better job of taking care of the ball. Blackman sometimes gets a little reckless with the ball, and Arizona State's the kind of team that will make you pay for that. They generate a lot of turnovers, do a very good job in that regard. Daniels, on the flip side, does an excellent job of taking care of the ball, doesn't take a whole lot of big risk, has very few interceptions thrown on the season, and that's an area where FSU has struggled at times to generate turnovers when they need them. For a fan who has no direct interest in either of these two teams, I would suggest tuning into this game for the big play potential of a couple receivers who are going to be relied upon who are expected to play in the game. For FSU, that would be Tamorian Terry, very talented outside receiver who does an excellent job as a vertical threat. He's a big play guy. With him and Blackman, they do a good job of stretching the field, usually taking some vertical shots against their opposition. On the flip side for the Sun Devils, their big play guy is Frank Darby. He averages over 20 yards per reception, does a very good job of working down the field. He's a guy that I expect Jaden Daniels to work hard to get the ball to with a limited option at the running back position and other receivers who are sitting out this game. Obviously, a lot of reasons to turn into this game. Those would probably be my biggest. On the defensive side of the ball, both teams have some guys who are big playmakers. Arizona State's probably the better defense in this game. Very good against the run. They do a very good job up front. If you want to hear more about the Florida State Seminoles, then you can check me out on the On The Bench podcast presented by Knowles247.com. We release around two to three episodes per week on the average week. This was the college football daily preview for the Tony the Tiger Sun Bowl, and I'm Chris Nee of Knowles247.com signing off. Nice stuff, Chris. For the AutoZone Liberty Bowl, we move to Memphis, Tennessee. Tim Fitzgerald is on site to prep us for a big-time matchup between Kansas State and Navy. 
Kansas State under first-year head coach Chris Kleiman carries an 8-4 and four record into its Liberty Bowl matchup with coach Ken Niamatololo's 10-win Navy midshipman on December 31st in Memphis, Tennessee. Kickoff is slated for 2.45 local time. This will only be the third bowl game in Kansas State history coached by someone other than Bill Snyder, who retired following the 2018 season and was replaced by Kleiman, who arrived from North North Dakota State. Navy's prolific triple option offense is led by quarterback Malcolm Perry, who ranks second nationally with 150.3 rushing yards per game. The mids signal caller is coming off a 304-yard two-touchdown performance in a 31-7 victory over Army to reclaim the commander-in-chief trophy for Navy. Navy ranks first in the nation with an average of 363 yards per game on the ground, 665 yards better than the next best team in all of college football. Perry has collected 21 touchdowns on the season, while Jamal Carruthers is second with 14 touchdowns and a 79.1 yard rushing average per game. Defensively for the Wildcats, senior Denzel Goolsby leads four players that have at least 50 tackles, while first team all Big 12 defensive end Wyatt Hubert ranks second in the league in sacks with seven. K-State enters this game as one of the nation's best defenses on third down, but if Kansas State's defense wants to stop this Navy offense, it'll have to be very assignment sound and wrap up Perry, for whom K-State's Kleiman offers a glowing review. He's as good as I've seen, and I saw uh, Jarek McKinnon at, at, at Georgia Southern played quarterback that played running back for the Vikes, and I think he's with the 49ers, did this at Georgia Southern as a quarterback. And I think he's better than what, what he was at, at it. And that's saying something because Jarek McKinnon's a thousand yard rusher in the NFL. And this kid uh, uh, is uh, Perry's really, really special, talented kid, breaks tackles, is quick, is fast, makes the great read. Um, he's playing at a high level. Included on K-State's resume this season is a victory at Mississippi State and a 48-41 win over number 4 Oklahoma, giving the Wildcats the only victory over one of the four teams in the college football playoff. At 5-4 and four in the Big 12, the Wildcats ended the season in a four-way tie for third place in the conference. Kansas State is led on offense by junior quarterback Skylar Thompson, a 2019 honorable mention All-Big 12 pick, who is in line to make his 27th career start Start at quarterback. Offensively, the Wildcats are balanced between the pass and run with senior transfer James Gilbert leading the way on the ground and senior receiver Dalton Schoen being Thompson's most reliable receiving target. Navy's Niamatalolo knows these Wildcats will be a tough matchup in Memphis. Yeah, really excited to go. Our guys have earned it. You know, grateful for the invitation. Playing a great opponent. You know, Kansas State had beat Oklahoma, the only team that's beaten somebody in the Final Four. Coach Kleiman is a really good football coach, you know, great history of winning games. Um, our guys are excited. Navy enters the AutoZone Liberty Bowl after going 7-1 and to tie for first in the American Athletic Conference's West Division. Navy's only two losses this year are a 35-23 defeat at Memphis, the Group of Five representative in the New Year's Day Six Bowls, and a 52-20 setback at then number 16 Notre Dame. Defensively, Navy surrenders an average of less than 23 points a game, but opposing offenses have found some success throwing the ball against the mids. 
Navy is surrendering more than 200 yards a game through the air. One final note on this game, Kansas State's tradition of outstanding special teams successfully made the transition from Snyder to Kleiman. True freshman kick returner Josh Youngblood leads the nation with three kickoff returns for touchdowns this season. Navy gets a shot at a Power 5 opponent in the 61st annual AutoZone Liberty Bowl, and this could be a quick game. Navy would prefer to run the ball on every down, and Kansas State is perfectly comfortable running the ball as often as it can. If you're a fan of run-first football, this is probably the bowl game for you. For 24-7 Sports, I'm Tim Fitzgerald. Thanks, Tim. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Trey Scott is next, and he's got the breakdown for the Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl between Wyoming and Georgia State. So usually the group of five bowl games held after the college football playoff semifinals get lost in the shuffle, but I've got a pretty compelling one for you guys. Uh, The Nova Home Loans Arizona Bowl from Tucson, Wyoming versus Georgia State on New Year's Eve at 4.30 Eastern, telecast on the CBS Sports Network. I like this one. So Wyoming, coached by Craig Bull, went 7-5 this year and and 4-4 in the Mountain West. Georgia State, coached by Sean Elliott, also went 7-5 this year and also went 4-4 in its conference, the Sun Belt. And these two teams, of course, could be linked by the fact that they both, in Week 1, shocked SEC opponents. Wyoming beat Kelly Bryant and Mizzou at home. Georgia State went to Knoxville and stunned Tennessee. Do you remember that game? If If you watched it, you probably were impressed by Georgia State quarterback Dan Ellington. So in that one, he was 11 for 24, which wasn't very efficient passing, but he had two touchdowns. He also rushed 14 times for 61 yards and a touchdown. Tennessee really couldn't stop him when it mattered. So he's going to play against Wyoming, but he's on a torn ACL. Yeah, this is, this is remarkable. Here's what Sean Elliott told the game 92.9 in Atlanta about Ellington, who's played the last four games of the year on seriously what is a torn ACL, which he suffered uh, against Louisiana Monroe on 11-29. Says, Elliot, we found out early it was an ACL tear, and when you hear about that injury, you assume it's over with. But his knee didn't really swell. I just assumed he was out, but he called me Monday and says he wants to play. Tuesday, he shows up with his helmet and jersey, and he throws a little bit. Does everything in practice Wednesday. The knee seemed to be handling pretty well. So we put together a plan to keep him upright, and I wouldn't have put him in there if I thought we were going to put him in jeopardy. But he did a a remarkable job. He's an incredible young man to do the things he did. What an unselfish act. So, indeed, we have a quarterback playing on a torn ACL 
Ellington has not been the rushing threat since that Louisiana Monroe game, which makes sense uh, against Appalachian State. He rushed two times for minus seven yards. Uh, South Alabama, four rushes for 12 yards. Georgia Southern, 15 attempts for minus 10 yards. Of course, sacks are taken into account here, but you wouldn't expect him to be much of a rushing threat when Georgia State has the ball. But at least he's playing. Wyoming's quarterback situation is a little bit more, even more complicated somehow. Uh, l- let's start with, uh, first of all, they have an anemic passing attack. 101 nationally. In yards per attempt. What in the name of Josh Allen is going on here? Their best passing output of the season was 221 yards versus Nevada. Four times the Cowboys have been held under 100 yards. Their starting quarterback, Sean Chambers, was a good runner, not a great passer. Knee injury ended his season after eight games. Sounds like Dan Ellington, right? So then Tyler Vanderwall starts the final four. And Wyoming's like, okay, this is going to be our quarterback. But he entered the transfer portal. But get this, he's still practicing. He's in a competition with true freshman Levi Williams. Williams is six foot five, kind of looks like Josh Allen. Uses more of a runner, though. Uh, completed 62% of his passes, just, and, and that's just eight for 13. Uh, but <laughs> he, he's probably going to get to start over Vanderwall, considering Vanderwall is in the portal. I don't think coaches are going to take too cli- kindly to that. But you could see both, which is just a bizarre and rare situation given this era of the transfer portal. All right, so now it's time to tell you that Wyoming's a seven-point favorite. And it's pretty clear when you're looking at the stats that this is because it can run the ball, number 44 nationally in yards per game, which isn't great, yards per attempt, which isn't great. But think about this. Georgia State is a number 120 in rushing defense nationally. 120. They're going to get got by Wyoming. They're 0-4 when they allow 278 yards rushing or more. Wyoming's done that twice. Wyoming's 7-0 when rushing for 190 yards or more. Georgia State gives up 211 yards per game. Okay? You go, well, what, what about in that win against Missouri? Wyoming rushed for 297 yards and three touchdowns. So, look, all Wyoming has to do in this game is lean on Georgia State. They don't even have to throw the ball. And given their quarterback situation and how bad their passing attack was before their quarterback situation even got so muddy, that's all Wyoming's going to do. And that's all they're going to need to do. That's why they're seven-point favorites. Uh, I admire that Dan Ellington is going to play. It's really cool to play on a torn ACL. And I am excited about this game. Uh, But but look to see Wyoming just, just sort of pound the rock and try to walk out of Tucson with a win. Good stuff, Trey. Last but certainly not least, Chip Brown is in San Antonio with the preview for the Valero Alamo Bowl between Utah and Texas. Hey, I'm Chip Brown from Horns247.com, and I'm previewing the Valero Alamo Bowl between the 11th-ranked 11-2 Utah Utes and the 7-5 Texas Longhorns for the College Football Daily. The first question when previewing any bowl game is which team really wants to be there and has motivation to pull out the win. Texas failed to play a complete game all season, which is a big part of the reason Coach Tom Herman is replacing both coordinators as well as a couple receivers coaches. But the Longhorns did win their final game of the regular season against Texas Tech and played well the final three quarters after falling behind 14 to nothing. Utah not only lost to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game and looked sloppy and disjointed doing so, 
The Utes also lost senior safety Julian Blackman, the team's interceptions leader, as well as Blackman's backup, R.J. Hubert, to injury. Neither will play in the Alamo Bowl. But Utah still has plenty of firepower on defense, led by pass rush specialist Bradley Anai, who has 12 and a half sacks this season, just behind Ohio State's Chase Young, who had 14 sacks going into the postseason. Utah has the nation's number one ranked defense against the run, giving up just 70.3 yards per game on the ground. And the Utes defense is coached by one of the best assistants in college football, defensive coordinator Morgan Scally, a finalist for this year's Broyles Award given to the nation's top college football assistant coach. Scally was a safety on Utah's 2004 Fiesta Bowl championship team under Urban Meyer and is only 40 years old, but he's been an assistant coach at Utah for 12 years the last four as defensive coordinator. Scally's name came up in Herman's search for a defensive coordinator at Texas. And before that got any traction, Utah gave Scally a contract extension and raise. On offense, Utah pounds the ball on the ground with senior running back Zach Moss, who has 1,359 yards rushing and 15 touchdowns while averaging 6.2 yards per carry. He can also catch the ball out of the backfield. When the Utes throw the ball, dual-threat quarterback Tyler Huntley is a laser. Huntley ranks second only to LSU Heisman Trophy winner Joe Burrow in completion percentage nationally, completing 73.7% of his passes with 18 touchdowns and four interceptions. If Texas, a touchdown underdog to the Utes, is going to pull off the upset, the Longhorns' offense is going to need to be a lot better than it was the second half of the season. Texas went from averaging nearly 41 points per game through seven games to averaging 21 points per game during a four-game stretch in which Texas lost to TCU, Iowa State, and Baylor. The good news for the Longhorns is all of their draft-eligible seniors have said they'll play in the Alamo Bowl, including six-foot-six receiver Colin Johnson, who battled a hamstring injury and played in only six games this season. Johnson is the team's second-leading receiver behind senior Devin Duvernay, who lines up in the slot and leads the nation in receptions with 103. When Duvernay and Johnson have been on the field together, the Texas offense has performed at a high level. Texas junior quarterback Sam Ellinger has thrown for 29 touchdowns with nine interceptions. He's also the Longhorns' third-leading rusher this season and is likely to get 10 or more carries in the Alamo Bowl. In the end, the Alamo Bowl is worth tuning in to see two of the nation's best quarterbacks in Utah's Tyler Huntley and Texas's Sam Ellinger, one of the nation's best running backs in Utah's Zach Moss, one of the nation's sack leaders in Utah's Bradley Anai, the Utes' top-ranked run defense, and the nation's receptions leader in Texas's Devin Duvernay. The Alamo Bowl also features two head coaches in Utah's Kyle Whittingham and Texas's Tom Herman, who have outstanding bowl records. Whittingham is 11-2 in bowls and has made the Utes' performance in bowl games as much a tradition at Utah as the fight song. Herman is 3-0 in bowls, dating to a Peach Bowl win over Florida State, capping a 13-1 season in Herman's first year at Houston. Last season, Texas knocked off Georgia in the Sugar Bowl to go 10-4, after which quarterback Sam Ellinger pronounced on national television that Texas was back. This year's 7-5 season taught us the Longhorns aren't quite back. A win over 11th-ranked Utah would be a nice bit of momentum after Herman let go of both coordinators on December 1st. 
For Utah, a win over Texas in the Longhorns' backyard would be nice for recruiting, considering the Utes are increasing their presence in the Lone Star State. Even though Texas won its last game and Utah didn't, the difference in this New Year's Eve matchup in San Antonio is likely to be that Herman just fired his defensive coordinator, while Whittingham just gave his a contract extension and raise. Utah's defense probably proves to be too much to overcome in what is likely to be a seldom-seen, low-scoring Alamo Bowl, which has been known for its offensive fireworks between the Big 12 and Pac-12. If you want to hear more about the Texas Longhorns, please check me out on the flagship podcast every week on all of your favorite podcast platforms. For the College Football Daily with a preview of the Alamo Bowl, I'm Chip Brown. Happy New Year. That's going to do it for today's College Football Daily Bowl previews. If you like what you heard from the guys, I put links to all their Twitter feeds and podcasts in the show notes, so be sure to check them out. We are previewing every single bowl and bringing you regular episodes of the College Football Daily too. So if you appreciate the volume of episodes, please head over to Apple Podcasts and give a five-star rating and review. For Doug Bowman, Chris Nee, Tim Fitzgerald, Chip Brown, and our regular hosts, Trey Scott and Connor Tapp, I'm your producer, Tani Levitt, and we'll see you tomorrow with another edition of the College Football Daily.